Hey guys, welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. This is your Wednesday, September 21st episode. We have a great guest on hand here to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers, as this is a very quick week for both teams. The early season Thursday night football games are a weird thing. I would imagine, uh, just like the, the, the Browns here, where we're coveting the fact that you can turn around off of an ugly week. The Steelers are feeling the same way, wipe away uh, a home loss in the home opener and and uh, try to change the course of the early part of your season. And the rest of the AFC North is sort of feeling it too, right? 0-2 Bengals coming off a Super Bowl run and everybody else sitting at 1-1 one and one, and two of those teams blew uh, pretty healthy leads. And, and this is a springboard, right? If you, if you come into this Thursday night game and you don't play well and you lose it and you fall back behind in the division, it's it's not what you want early portion of the season. So this is a really important game for both sides. We've covered the Browns this week about what happened Sunday. You can check out those podcasts, the comprehensive breakdown posted yesterday. You can dig into that if you want to get granular and, and, and try to really figure out some of the intricate details behind what happened. But we should switch over to Pittsburgh. And that's what I want to bring on a great guest. He's been on this podcast many times now. Nick Fairball, he's over at um, uh, Pittsburgh Sports Now. He writes on the Steelers. He hosts Locked On Pit for at the at the college level. He does a ton of stuff over in his area. Nick is great follow at Nick underscore Fairball. Nick, how are you, man? As always, uh, you know it's great to come on here, man. Talk some Steelers, um, Browns. It's going to be a weird game this year. Um, no Baker Mayfield, no Ben Roethlisberger. A lot of different moving parts. Um, so I'm I'm very intrigued to see what it looks like, especially on a short week. Yeah, me too, man. The vibe around it is completely different. You're right. Let's let's dig in. Coaching staff, I, I you can correct me if I'm wrong here. Not a ton of big changes, were there? Or, or, or fill us in on anything that, that kind of took over with Tomlin and going from last year to this year. Yeah, not a lot on the offensive side of the football. Um, new offensive line coach, Pat Meyer. I think that's the biggest change. I'm running a lot of different stuff. And by that, I mean new types of philosophies. Uh, independent hands is a new thing, actually for the Steelers this year. So they're starting to use more independent hands with their linemen, more aggressive sets. So they'll get up on you on those jump sets, um, vertical sets even. Uh, they will play aggressively. And so far, honestly, it was rough in the preseason, but hey, it's kind of worked. And then obviously on the defensive side, there has been change. Um, Tara Lawson is the new defensive coordinator, and Brian Flores is obviously there as the linebacker senior defensive assistant. And they've started to work in more split safety looks. They've meshed in Flores' blitzes with kind of Tomlin's Tampa two background in their old fire zones. It's a mesh of a lot of really different things. And so they do a lot of different things on defense that I think are actually a lot of fun to look at. Um, so I, I think that that's been the change again, not a ton of significant changes, but the change in offensive philosophy, offensive line wise. And then you look at Brian Flores coming on along with Terrell Austin and it's changed the philosophy defensively a little bit. So, okay, good stuff. There's some changes. Defense, we'll dig in. Well, let's go to there. Let's go there first. Kind of switch it up. We always go offense first. We'll switch it up and talk about the defensive changes. Well, there's some familiar names. You know, Cam Hayward's still around. We know Larry Joby ended up landing there, and, and Larry's put together some good tape last year, this year. Talk about the box, because it's it's an interesting – there's familiar names. I mean, Devin Bush is still around, and, and Tyson Alawalu that have been in, in this – battle for a while obviously Alex Highsmith still uh, around and making a name for himself we know TJ Watt is is going to miss this one he, he's on the on the IR for here for a little while here so what's the vibe around the defense uh, especially the guys up front addition of Miles Jack the box where they've they've struggled I think it's fair to say that they've struggled at the linebacker position probably trying to find some value there but but is the pass rush as daunting as it's ever been as a team that you know pushes toward the top of the league in sacks every single year yeah, I think losing T.J. Watt is just 
huge. And that's obviously true. Um, maybe the best edge in the NFL depends really between him and Miles Garrett. Um, those guys are one and two uh, with each other, but he has such a big effect on what offensives do against the Steelers. So when you take him out of the equation, well, then you start sliding towards Cam Hayward and then Cam Hayward has to take on that burden. And so, and then, and then Cam Hayward doesn't play as much as TJ Watt does. TJ Watt will play 90% of the snaps Hayward more 75%. And so when he's out, then they slide to high Smith. And then it, you, you kind of get a, a bowling effect where, the Steelers have a tougher time winning with four, and it's not because they don't have the talent. Alex Highsmith, Malik Reed, Tyson Alulu, you have Larry Ogunjobi, and you have Cam Hayward. Those are a good five up front if they wanted to, a core five if they will. Um, but they have trouble because the protections are just easier to beat um, at that point when you cannot get TJ Watt to magnetize a whole side of the line because of who he is. Um, and so that is the thing I look at the most. And, and this is a good defensive line. And they still look good. They still played well against New England. New England kind of has an offense that is built to beat blitzing um, and, and is built to beat pass rushes. Even if they had TJ Watt in that game, they don't, pro- they probably have a sack or two. I don't think they get many sacks in that game just because. That offense is designed to keep Mac Jones clean for the most part. Um, so I look at Alex Highsmith taking a second year, uh, after the second year he's taking the second to third year leap. He looks much better this year. Just looks like the game has slowed down for him. He kind of understands what tackles are trying to do, and he knows when to rip out his ghost move, his spin, his bull rush. He's added more power to his game. He looks better. He's a much better run defender than he was last year as well. I think that's been a big thing for him. Cam Hayward is good as ever. You know who Larry Ogunjobi is. And then you also have this interesting look that they brought out last week, which is well, they're moving some of their five techs like Cam Hayward, like Larry Ogunjobi, and especially DeMarvin Leal out to the seven tech part. They'll play base end at this point, um, which is very interesting because the Steelers at outside linebacker are in a weird spot. Malik Reed is more of a traditional 3-4, and he's not really got a ton of experience playing as a base 4-3 end. So they will take him out there, and they will throw in Leal, who is 305 pounds, but a superb athlete, so he can do it. He looked good doing it. They'll throw Cam Hayward out there. They'll throw Larry Ogunjobi out there. So they'll run this like big nickel almost. And and that's kind mm-hmm. of their been their answer so far that we saw against New England to slowing down the, the loss of TJ Watt. And so I'm interested to see in a short week how much that manifests itself. And then you talk about the linebacker spot. Miles Jack's been great so far. Uh, he's been everywhere. I don't like using tackles as a statistic, but he does. He's top three in the NFL in tackles, if that's your thing. Um, he is everywhere around the football, and he's been a really active run defender. Um, and that's been the big thing, is that he has been a guy that can come downhill and shed blocks, and the Steelers haven't had that. Devin Bush hasn't been that, but Bush has been fine enough beside him to not be, say, a sore eye. You, you don't necessarily need to target Devin Bush anymore because Bush is holding his own enough. And then you have Robert Spillane, who's been fine enough. Uh, they're not getting elite play out of that linebacker spot, but they are, they have a clear leader there now with miles Jack and they're getting average play, which I think, which is, I think what they wanted and what they need this year as they transition potentially into a post Devin Bush era after 2022 with miles Jack and whoever would be beside him. It's still a really good front 70 without TJ Watt, obviously not as dangerous as it would be. And so they're trying some new things. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform today. Playing pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning 250 k in cash alone. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb your leaderboard for a shot to win big money 
every single day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player props, even those over-unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including the NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up with this promo code, which is very simply for the fans of this podcast, OBR. Use that promo code OBR at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the App Store and get a first deposit match up to $25. So again, promo code OBR. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. Again, that promo code OBR, nohouseadvantage.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, the the new things is something, you know, any team's going to deal with injuries throughout the year. It's tough. I don't, I mean, Cle- Cleveland has been very fortunate here. I'm a major knocking on wood for their situation with Miles Garrett. They did lose Jadevian Clowney for this game, but you do. You have to change so many things about how you go, you go about it because you can't one guy replace. So you're looking at a bunch of different front usages, alignment usages. How are we going to put guys on the field who can do the things he can do? Because uh, you can't get it all in one. So you're looking at several bodies. So that's great insight from. Uh, from Nick on that. So switching to the defensive back group collectively, I mean, there are names that have been here for a while, Terrell Evans and Minka, and we know those guys. And some of those others now are getting their chance to shine, Arthur Millett and Cameron Sutton. Like, it's not a well-known secondary across the league, but I think in a defense that has found a way over the years, I think this group is still good enough, and I'm sure you would agree that they they play they played pretty pretty strong football to start the season. I mean, you pick, you didn't pick them off, but they got, I think they got four picks off Joe the first week. So, you know, they're, they're doing their thing. And, and it's like, I think people sleep a little bit on this secondary is my overall point, Nick. Am I right about that? Or do you think they're about uh, accurately described? I, I think they're a pretty good secondary and I thought they played really well against New England. I know the stat sheet uh, isn't super kind to them. Mac Jones passed for a lot of gross yardage and all that, but they made a lot of good plays in that game. And they really held up on a pass rush that didn't get home as much. I thought this secondary played an extremely good game, forced a lot of punts. And to be quite honest, if Gunnar Olszewski does not muff a punt, they win that game because the secondary has played really well. Um, And you talked about Minka Fitzpatrick. This guy is just a game changer on every level. Uh, He can play really wherever you want him to do. Overhang, slot, free safety, center field, robber roll, strong safety. He does it all. Uh, He can do it because he is so versatile and because he is maybe the smartest player on this football team. And so he's got a ball hawk sense 
Uh, and he just does so many different things. I don't need to explain how elite Minka Fitzpatrick is, but you know what he does. Every time you drop back the pass, you better know where 39 is. Otherwise, you're going to get yeah. picked off. And Joe Burrow and Mac Jones have both been uh, very attested to that as Minka has two picks through two games thus far. Um, so that is a big thing for the Steelers. Even without T.J. Watt, they still have Minka Fitzpatrick. And so they're able to do a lot of different things on the back end. And then Terrell Edmonds is kind of meshed in with that and what he's able to do. Because Edmonds has grown into, in my opinion, one of the better tight end erasers in this league. And I'm very excited to see what he does against David Njoku because I think that's going to be a very underrated matchup in this game. When you look at how tight end heavy Cleveland can get, I think Terrell Edmonds is going to be a big part of this game plan. He's been really good thus far this year. He's versatile. He'll play single high. He'll play in the box. He'll do a ton of different things. Terrell Edmonds has been a key part of this glue. If Minka Fitzpatrick is the head of this table, he's right below him. He's the right-hand man. And then you talk about the corners. Uh, the corners aren't flashy, right? They aren't. Akella Witherspoon's probably the corner one. He struggled thus far, although his two matchups, uh, Jamar Chase obviously is a tough draw, and he looked yeah. a little off against Jamar Chase, and then he got mossed by Nelson Aguilar. Um, so I think he needs to bounce back a little bit. I think that's the one eyesore thus far has been Akella Witherspoon it's kind of up and down play, but I think Levi Wallace is coming and giving them quality snaps. I think Cam Sutton has proven to be quality as well. Arthur Mallette's grown into a really good blitzer, and they have Trey Norwood, too, in his second year as that dimebacker who can move around and play slot, free safety, outside corner. He's done all three of those thus far this year, so it's a versatile secondary that allows them to switch around what they do. And disguise a lot of things, which I think is really actually going to help them in the absence of TJ Watt. They'll lean on that versatility for their secondary players to be able to do whatever they want on the back end and try to confuse these quarterbacks. And I think, you know, they got to Mac Jones a little bit. Mac Jones didn't look comfortable, and that's hard to do because Mac Jones is a guy that's very smart, very football smart, and Steelers kind of confused him a good bit of the time. I would say that they have over the years confused Baker Mayfield significantly more than Baker has ever looked comfortable when he was in Cleveland. There was a playoff game. He looked relatively comfortable, largely driven by, as you know, some early turnovers that put him out in front, but it has not been a situation where Cleveland quarterbacks have felt comfortable against whatever Pittsburgh has thrown at them on defense. It'll be interesting to see how the Browns combat it, Nick, because, you know, they do run a healthy dose of 13 personnel. Now they did it in week one because they had just signed former Steeler Jesse James and he wasn't quite up to speed yet. Now he is on the injury report and as is uh, their, their second tight end Harrison Bryant, uh, both of which are dealing with some things. We'll see if they're able to even play on a short week. So it might be David, it might be a ton of 11 personnel and I'm sure Pittsburgh would not mind a healthy dose of uh, 11 personnel based on their personnel. So we'll see how the Browns are able to match up based on how many guys are just available. So that's a key focal point as we move because Cleveland went to a ton of 13 last week and ran the ball highly effectively against the Jets. But we'll see if they're able to even do that by sheer volume of uh, who's out on the field. Switching over to offense. So, okay, talk about Mitch. I mean, I think there's been some people cover the league nationally who still see a lot of the same in him. I'm sure you're, uh, you know, seeing the limitations. And, and as you talk about Mitch and how he's playing so far this year, is is the eye around Pittsburgh two weeks into this thing kind of drifting towards Kenny Pickett? What's the vibe after Kenny's preseason and camp like? I'm just curious where that all sits a couple games. It might be way too early. I'm not sure, but I'm sure, you know, you're always itching for better quarterback play. And I think Kenny had some moments in preseason that had some people perked up a little bit. Well, I think they have. And and listen, Mitch Trubisky has not played well by any measure uh, these first two weeks. There's been a lot of missed reads. He's been extra conservative and he's missing guys like George Pickens open and Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool 
all these guys have been open downfield. It feels like he's predetermining his read and almost gets happy footed. Um, his mechanics have been a mess. He's been throwing off his back foot and throwing almost sliding away and, and just off his base. He doesn't look comfortable. He's throwing a beat late, not throwing with anticipation. He hasn't been able to go out of the pocket, and even with opportunities when he has had open green grass, he's decided not to take it. I don't know what that is up with. He just doesn't look comfortable meshing in this offense yet. And so, yes, the calls for Kenny Pickett are there because Kenny Pickett looked methodical in the preseason. He looked calm. He, it, under the bright lights, he rose to the occasion. He was accurate. He was decisive. He threw with anticipation. He read defenses like a book. And he looked like a guy that could potentially be a quality starter in this league. So when you have a rookie that looks like that in the preseason, I think you're going to get calls once your starter, who's a veteran and has a track record of struggling in their previous stop and starting to bleed that into this stop, I think you're going to get those calls for the young rookie, especially when that rookie is their first rounder and a guy that's from real, literally next door at Pitt. So you have some of that hometown bias. And so, yeah, I definitely think that you're starting to see some of those calls. Now, Mitch Trubisky has been really bad, but I'm also not going to put everything on Mitch Trubisky. Now, he hasn't targeted much at all over the middle of the field, plus 15 yards. I think he has like three targets that have gone in the middle of the field over 15 yards. Um, and it has been bad. They need to target that. They have been almost all to the sideline thus far, and that's mm-hmm. partially Mitch Trubisky, partially not him. Um, but, uh, again, Mitch Trubisky needs to be more accurate. He needs to feel out his receivers better. He needs to be able to read defenses at a higher level. It's not all on him, and we'll get to who else it is on. Um, but Mitch Trubisky has not played well, and he is one of the Chiefs' problems uh, with the Steelers' offense right now because he just doesn't look comfortable There are throws that are open that he is a beat late on, uh, and that has been a big thing. It's been the underneath stuff. It hasn't been necessarily as much of the aggressiveness. Now, he's missed pickings, and Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, open deep. Those guys have been open. But I'd be willing to overlook that if he was just, say, an Alex Smith type, where he was Mm -hmm. whatever. He hits underneath guys, but you're still able to score 21, 28, 30 points even sometimes because that guy's going to be a facilitator. Well, he hasn't even been that. He's missed underneath routes. He's run, we're talking about simple concepts like stick dragon um, that he has been late on. I mean, we're talking high school stuff um, where he has not been able to read it um, consistently. And so that has been a big thing. It's been the missing things underneath, running himself into sacks and just looking generally uncomfortable with his mechanics. So let's get to the basics first with Mitch Trubisky and then let's see what he can do. But that's the reason why you're hearing calls for Kenny Pickett. Not because he's not being aggressive enough and maybe missing guys down the field. It's because the basic stuff isn't even there. I will say that sounds very similar to everything I've ever heard about Mitch Trubisky. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see if he's able to overcome and put together a good game near his hometown uh, up in Cleveland on uh, Thursday night. But yeah, it sounds like he's still the same guy. He's got to see it open. He's late. He doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't always believe in, in throwing with anticipation and accuracy issues and missing people and. Listen, you're dealing with that in Cleveland sometimes too. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's these are these are not starters. They're just they're stopgap types, and Jacoby's in the same realm. And the, and and it's just who plays better on any given night. So we'll have to see which uh, which scheme helps out. Najee Harris a little beat up, I, I think, uh, from everything I've gathered. How's he playing to start the year? Who gets the carries when he's, uh, you know, feeling it a little bit? Yeah, man, Najee doesn't look good, um, which is the big surprising thing. Now, I want to say this. He's the furthest thing from the problem with this offense, Um, but he has not played well. He's not seeing holes very well. I think he does have a little bit of PTSD from last year um, where the offensive line 
gave him nothing. He had to create everything himself. But now they're actually creating some holes, which has been a surprise. But there has been legitimate holes for him to run through, and he's missing them. He's bouncing it outside because he's such a gifted lateral athlete. And I say this a lot to people who ask me, what What do you mean when he has vision issues or decision-making issues? And I say he's a gifted lateral athlete, one of the most gifted lateral athletes in the NFL at that running back position. So he's going to want to go laterally because he did it at Alabama and he did it to success. So he's going to have to learn to run efficiently in between the tackles. Now as a receiver, he's been great. Um, he's missed some blocking assignments. He just looks like he's overthinking things. And so Najee Harris needs to just ramp things back. I think he, I think he feels like he has to make the big play because no one else has right now. You have a struggling quarterback. The, the offensive coordinator has a disconnect with the quarterback and the rest of the offense, and you kind of feel that. So I think Najee Harris feels like he has to play hero ball. Um, as a receiver, he's done a great job. As a runner, though, he just needs to trust his offensive line and hit the hole properly. I think that's what he's got to do. He's got to rein it in, go back to the basics, and do all of that. Now, when he's not playing, it's been Jalen Warren. And this has been a revelation. A UDFA out of Oklahoma State, he came into training camp and was awesome. I mean, to say the least, this guy, when they put on the pads on the first day, was running over defenders, was blowing up guys in pass protection. He looks like a Doug Martin-ish type player. I mean, we're talking 5'8", 215, rocked up, hard to bring down a guy that just plays with reckless abandonment. Um, he is a fun football player. He's a all-around back that can catch the football, a really good pass protector, a guy that's shifty enough on a one-cut basis uh, to make things happen. So when he gets in, into the hole, you're going to need to match his energy. You're going to need to match that energy to get to be physical. And he doesn't care. He'll hit the first hole he sees and go. And he'll fall forward for, seems like, four or five yards every time. Uh, he makes the most of it. So we've seen Jalen Warren eating Najee Harris' snap share because Najee Harris last year had a snap share of over 85%. That's down to 75% now because Jalen Warren has stolen about a quarter of those carries. And so we'll see. Jalen Warren has been a really good revelation here, and maybe Najee Harris isn't fully healthy with the foot injury that's been lingering since the start of camp, but he needs to dial it back a little bit, and Jalen Warren has been a really solid find uh, for the Steelers thus far. Yeah, we'll be paying close attention to that, especially, and I, I do – I do empathize with chasing big plays when you're when you're all feeling pressure to get in the end zone, and that is definitely a thing running backs can do: press and miss things that are right in front of their face. Similar to quarterbacks, sometimes it's a it's a quick moving thing. Talk about personnel in the in the receiver department, and that includes tight ends. Are they going heavy eleven? I know Claypool's gotten some jet fly sweep stuff in the Canada system, and that's expected uh, as far as some wide receiver handoffs. And stuff like that. That's a the way to keep defenses honest horizontally to open some things vertically. But it seems like Claypool, Pickens, Johnson, and Fryermuth, your tight end, Pat Fryermuth, is getting a lot of the opportunities. Is that 11 personnel heavy or are they mixing it up a little more? Yeah, it's, it's pretty 11 personnel heavy. Now they'll mix in 12 personnel a lot more. Um, we saw that a little bit this week um, with Zach Gentry, the tight end, too, who's grown into a nice player, is a really good blocker, um, and maybe not an athletic receiver, but he's more of a seam buster type uh, at, at that area. Um, but he's a really good blocker, um, so he creates that extra gap, and he's opened up some holes uh, early on in the season. So he's been a guy that has mixed in with 12 personnel looks. They've even run some 13 personnel, mixing in Derek Watt and Connor Hayward a little bit last week. It was, I think they ran four uh, snaps to 13 personnel, which I thought was very interesting. Um, that's something we really haven't seen them do. So I don't know if they're going to maybe expand on that package, um, but they found some success with it. Um, but I, yeah, it's been 11 personnel and it's been the three guys, you know, Deontay Johnson at the X for the most part, Chase Claypool now in the slot. That's a change. You're used to seeing him as a Z receiver. He's now a big slot. He takes the juju rollover, 
Um, and then you have George Pickens, obviously, at that Z spot on the right side. Pickens has been really, really good. Now, the stat sheet won't say it. Two catches for 26 yards on six targets. That is not a good stat line, but he has been consistently open. And I kind of alluded to it earlier. The main issue has actually been Mitch Trubisky in that arena. Um, he's been open. Mm-hmm multiple times could have had a touchdown in week one where Mitch just completely missed him after he dusted Eli Apple. Um, he He's a guy that has consistently been open deep and at all three levels. So if George Pickens finally gets involved, I feel like he could be on the brink of a breakout. Um, I think Chase Claypool's taken really well to the slot role. As you said, he's getting a little bit of those carries as well on those jet sweeps, those reverses and different items. He's been a guy that has run a pretty expansive route tree out of that slot. Um, but hasn't run anything deep yet, vertical. I, I wonder when we're going to start to see that because he's a six foot four guy that runs a four four two. You would expect to see them run some vertical stuff or at least over routes. We haven't seen that a ton from Claypool just yet. Um, he will, by the way, play outside with Deontay Johnson in twelve personnel. Pickens has not eight into those snaps yet. That has been Claypool and Johnson thus far when they go too wide. Um, so I thought I would make that. And Deontay Johnson has been as good as ever. He's consistent now i think that's the biggest thing is that his drop issues are a thing of the past he's looked phenomenal um he he got that contract he consistently separates like he does creates things after the catch i would like to see them open up his route tree too to a more vertical route tree i keep saying this i think the Steelers have three really good guys here that can win vertically in different ways one through size one through speed one through pure route running ability but they don't really open it up, and that's something that you have to be cognizant of as a defense is, well, what if they do? Because the Steelers have the weapons to do it, but they haven't proven it yet through their quarterback and offensive coordinator combination. But this is still a really good wide receiving group, and you'll see Gunnar Olszewski and Miles Boy can work in every now and then. Um, Olszewski will work in as that slot guy sometimes when they want to put Claypool outside. Um, and then you see Miles Boykin sometimes taking over some of those snaps for Pickens as well as maybe a more of a bigger uh, guy that is more of a vet and, and maybe as much as of a blocker as well. They can pull out Deontay Johnson sometimes and bring in Boykin and run kind of their blocking set with Boykin, Claypool, and Pickens, and that'll be their run signal, essentially, if you will. Um, so we've seen a lot of different mixing and matching, but it's mainly been the top three there in Friar move uh, that have been the key guys here. So the, I think some of it comes down to the O-line. I'm sure it does. I mean, it's a group they're developing. They're trying to get it done over time. The weapons seem to be in place. Can't build it all in one year. I get it. A couple of years. You got, you've got the, a lot of things in place for this offense to go in the right direction. I'm sure you can attest it's just figuring out the O-line. Dan Moore, Kevin Dotson, Mason Cole, James Daniels, Chuck Sikorfor are kind of the listed guy. Are those the guys that are seeing the time? Is Kendrick Green seeing time? Like, give us the rundown of these guys and how they're playing because I think you know, collectively league-wide, it's a perceived weakness. And I didn't know if it's it's sort of rearing itself through this start of the year. I'll tell you this. They've been a pleasant surprise. Um, I'm not going to act like they've been great. Um, they played Cleveland tough last year. That's for sure. They played they well did. in those games. And, and listen, they they played well, to be quite honest. Chooks for has been a very steady pass protector at right tackle. Um, very good. Dan Moore neutralized Trey Hendrickson. I take that a lot into account. You saw Matthew Judon not being able to beat either a core four or more. I thought that these guys have taken really well to the teachings. They were a disaster, a disaster in the preseason. But I think a lot of that was kind of adapting to the new techniques Pat Meyer is trying to implement. And a lot of that has been working now. And you're starting to see these guys 
get into it. Now, listen, this is not a top flight offensive line. I'm not trying to say that. They do get beaten pass protection. They are not a great offensive line, but they have been serviceable. And that's really all the Steelers were hoping for from this offensive line. And they've been able to open run lanes. They've looked really good on their combo blocks recently, which has actually been a very nice surprise. Mason Cole and Kevin Dodson and James Daniels have opened some holes uh, on that end. Now, I think that you see, and I'll say this, I think you see the perceived weakness because I don't think you look at this group and say, well, that's a very talented group. It, it doesn't really look like that. And more importantly, I don't think Matt Canada trusts his offensive line, which is an indictment. We talk about why they don't target the middle of the field or run shot plays or any of that stuff, run a lot of play action or any of that. Well, well, why would that be? Because they don't trust the offensive line to, to protect their quarterback. You don't see a lot of long developing plays. You see a lot of simple plays, quick passes. Uh, you see a, it, the long developing stuff is maybe a comeback route that you can get out or run out on a sprint out or a rollout. It's to protect the offensive line. And I, I largely say this because the offensive line has looked good at, relatively to what we thought they were going to look like in the first two weeks. And a lot of the sacks haven't been on them. They've been on Mitch Trubisky. So at some point, I feel like this offense has to trust the offensive line. And that can go one way or another. That could go terribly. But they've shown enough through two games where I think you have to let the offense open itself up and see, well, can Mitch Trubisky do it if we trust the offensive line and we trust our receivers to win downfield? Can yeah. we win vertically and create explosive plays to open this offense up? I think that's what Matt Canada has to say to himself seeing this offensive line play. Again, they have not encountered someone like Miles Garrett. I don't necessarily expect this to be the game. I think they're going to give Dan Moore, whoever is on Miles Garrett, I know Miles Garrett moves around a lot. I think they're going to do a lot of different things to try and stop Miles Garrett. But this offensive line thus far has held up far better than anyone expected. It's exceeded expectations. And so you got to wonder at some point, whenever they put out two straight games of serviceable tape when you start trusting them a little bit more just to give you potentially that own fun offense you need you, you can't be averaging the points they are right now offensively you can't be averaging the dismal numbers they can and the offensive line has not been as much of a factor in that in terms of a performance factor they definitely have been in a game plan factor and so with four days i don't know how much you can change that but the offensive line has actually played better than you thought Again, not a great unit still. They do get beat, but they are not abysmal. They are better than last year's group, and I think that's a positive step in the right direction. It is. It is, and, and it's going to be really interesting, Nick, to follow. You know, Cleveland's defense is reeling. They have they have played like of 100 and, I don't know, 120 plays this year. They've played about 115 of them pretty dang well, but they've given up chunk plays on blown coverages, and I'm talking badly blown coverages at terrible times, and uh, that that is going to be you know as a team in Cleveland that invested so much in its secondary and is really really reeling. I'm talking some quotes that aren't encouraging. Some some fingers are being pointed. It is a crossroads for everything Cleveland does defensively. And if I were Pittsburgh, I'm just saying I would be challenging them. I would really be challenging them. So I know you might not think it's a great time to try it, but if Miles is the only threat you need to mollify, you can put three on him and chip release and do some things like. This should be a time where I would be going after the jugular of what's going on in Cleveland in the secondary. So that is something, as you talked about earlier on the defensive side, sort of tracking how Cleveland runs personnel. I will be tracking quite closely how Pittsburgh tries to manipulate some coverages and put Cleveland DBs in a bind 
as we have seen two straight weeks of that happening based on how they run their defense. So you don't have to give me a prediction, Nick, but just kind of how are you feeling about Thursday? I know we all probably hate these short week games, but uh, are you feeling optimistic or wh- where do you kind of sit on this one going into, the, again, this is a wildly important game for both teams. I think we can agree on that. It, it's hard to feel optimistic after seeing what the Steelers did offensively. Um, Trubisky has been an issue. Matt Canada has not called very good games. His play sequencing has been abysmal on um, these first down play calls are, are terrible stuff. And again, he just hasn't opened up the offense enough. You, you don't have those middle of the field crossers. You don't have any shot plays. You have nothing to put a middle of the field safety in conflict. It's been an issue. And the play calling, the play design combined with Mitch Trubisky's inability to get out of his own way has been this offense's undoing. Uh, and so I, I don't know. I think the defense is going to be really good. And I, I think that they'll be able to neutralize most of what Cleveland's going to do. Um, I think that their main focus is obviously going to be on stopping Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Um, they've proven they can do that in the past. Um, I think it's going to be a very ugly match. Short week turnaround for two teams that are reeling, as you said, uh, in different manners. Uh, the Steelers reeling on offense. The, the, the Browns reeling on defense in the secondary. Jacoby Brissett, I, I don't think, is a particularly great quarterback. But really, I, I can't give anyone a quarterback say edge here i don't think either of them are very good um so this is a tough one i think that the steelers do have that defense that's a ball hawking defense that creates a lot of turnovers that could lend themselves to having big plays in this game giving their offense short fields and i think that's going to be the big thing i think who takes care of the football between Brissett and, and trubisky is, is going to be the big thing here uh, which quarterback stays out of their offense's own way and allows them to at least get competent drives together um, and we, that's one thing Mitch Trubisky hasn't done this year that much. Uh, he threw one pick, but he has not turned the ball over all that badly. And so I, I do wonder um, what happens in a short week if they try to open that up. Again, that's a different story if they do or they don't, but we'll see. Uh, I think it's going to be a very ugly game. We're talking, you know, that Patriots yeah. him 17 to 14. I think we could be seeing a very similar score uh, in this one. If the Steelers try to make their games ugly and they try to drag teams into the mud with them. So I don't know who's going to win this one, but I would expect it to be ugly. I would expect it to be close. I would expect it to be very AFC North ball. And so it's not going to be – I wouldn't put this in prime time viewership uh, <laughs> if it were outside of these circumstances. That's all I'll say. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to be fun for the prime vision folks because there's no – these teams don't spread it out all too much, man. And and uh, so if you're watching for where the – the uh, moving parts are going from that wide view that Amazon put out for Thursday night football, which is a lot of fun. It's a little more fun for chiefs chargers than it might be for this one, but it, it's uh, I, I much uh, very much see it the way Nick does in terms of this is going to be a game where both sides are pulling their hair out. Cause the quarterback might not take a risk and make the throw that we all want to see him make a throw. They're both guys that are trying to limit mistakes. And sometimes that is to the detriment of, uh, you know, of, of of advancing the football downfield at times. I mean, I thought Jacoby played much better week two, but this is a different challenge altogether, in my opinion, as Pittsburgh is uh, just a different level of defense collectively in their approach and all of that. So listen, let's just hope for a good game, hope for a good game, something that keeps both sides entertained throughout. And, and we'll just see which team wins. The, like you said, Nick, in the mud at the final moment, we appreciate you a ton. Uh, your insights here are, I really can't find anyone better in Pittsburgh market to provide these insights it's super detailed man so thanks again yeah i appreciate you having me on and i'll say this remember that 50 to 10 game last year between the steelers and the browns i think it'll be very similar so yeah as always thanks for having me on though jake
appreciate it. It's great coming on. Yeah, that's Nick, man. Thanks, thanks for uh, thanks, thanks to him for showing up and doing the show on short notice here. As I'm trying to get out in front of recording some episodes, so uh, a huge thank you to him. Make sure you're following Nick. He does a great job with not just NFL content, but gives you great college football perspective and and you know scouts uh, looks at college tape and stuff like that, and does a great job with the Pip uh, Panthers podcast. So make sure you check out all of his work. So thanks to him. Thanks to you guys for showing up and giving us your time here. Uh, over at the uh, of the OBR, whether that's through the podcast, Twitch, or the website. Again, I always appreciate you guys very much. Have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow with your game day morning podcast. Uh, check that out with me and Brad Ward. Uh, we'll be there. We'll be live. It will be out around midnight for your uh, pleasure of viewing as it's a night game, so you got a lot of time to listen to that one. Thanks again for stopping by, guys. Thanks to Nick. Appreciate you, and go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.